0: I deeply believe that work can be a joyful and contributing part of people's lives. And so I have always just been attuned to that vision and looking out for ways that I could lean into that, whether that was hands-on line managing a team and creating joyful environments where we could do really hard things together but in a really joyful way are now working with managers and teaching them about some of the concepts of neuroleadership and joy and play and like how people's brains work better and how we can actually improve a company's bottom line by creating these really gorgeous teams where people Feel satisfied with the work that they're doing. Yeah. The decisions I've made have always been rooted in that focus on the vision.
1: Well, welcome to the podcast, Meg. And how are you doing today?
0: Um amazing. This is my first podcast, so I'm nervous and excited. Mm-hmm which yeah. I think is how I want to feel most of the time about most of life, a little nervous and think, a little excited.
1: Yeah, I think you always want that first time experience for every experience that you have. Yeah, It's also my first time recording a podcast live with somebody. So I am also, we're kind of experiencing this together. So so it's all good, you know. <laughs> but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to say yes, because you have so many different roles that you have been through. And now you are the executive director at Estee Lord for the platform engineering team and you have so many different things going on, but you still said yes to come to the podcast, so I really appreciate you doing that.
0: Absolutely, anything okay. for cockroach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, so before we begin, you know, tell me about, uh, you know, what it is it that you're doing right now at Estee Lauder, what, what that role is all about, and what that function is?
0: Yeah, so at Estee Lauder, I am, like you said, the Executive Director of Platform Engineering. Um, Platform engineering in our context is a bit sprawling. So we have kind of everything needed to support the application. So that is things like cloud infrastructure, all the way to global analytics, automated QA, the tools developers use. How I think about it is we serve the developer as our customer, and that's who we think about. And we try to make their lives easier as much as we can.
1: Yeah. So, it's like a broad function that you have to kind of be responsible for, right? And here's, here's the funny thing when I was traveling, uh, I was telling my wife, hey, so I have to go for Roach Fest, which is our company <laughs> event. And then I'm talking to Meg Adams from Estee Lauder, and my wife lost her mind because she's a big <laughs> Estee Lauder fan. Uh, because uh, she gets her eyeliner from there, she has a bunch of other things, you know, that she gets from there. So she's like, "Can we get free stuff from you?" Like,
0: I should have brought samples, and I'm embarrassed now that I did. You don't.
1: know, I and I was selling it. I tried this trick with somebody I spoke from Chick Fil A. Uh, it was a his <laughs> name was Brian Chambers, and we had a podcast. And he, got, I got some free Chick Fil A sandwiches. So God. if you can hook me up, <laughs> that will be the best thing. But but again, uh, Estee Lord is one of the largest cosmetic brands in the world, and previously you were working at Etsy, so which is also like a huge place uh, for online retail. So how was that experience for you going from a world where you have e-commerce in that sense, move to Estee Lauder, how was, it, how was the whole space like for you?
0: I think the big difference between Etsy and Estee Lauder is that Etsy is a two-sided marketplace, and okay. so the focus of the work we're doing within engineering, what I was doing within data engineering there, is really thinking up through the whole flow, yeah, from ideating a product all the way through to it arriving to someone who bought it. Right, oh, um, and for essay Lauder, it's engineering and like what we're focused on is purely on the buying consumer. Got it. So thinking less about the whole marketplace and more specifically about like how do we get this amazing product that so many people are so loyal to into their hands as quickly as possible as efficiently as possible in a way that is delightful and that they find right
1: before we go to I would rather open it up and tell me a little bit about your own story as to how you got into tech and I was reading stuff that you've written, and the story is amazing and beautiful. So I would rather have you tell that story to everyone listening as to how you got into this whole practice of tech and engineering and being a woman in code, actually.
0: My story started out like so many as an elementary special education teacher. um, I went to school for teaching and ultimately decided that that's not what I wanted to do. Um, But I wasn't sure at that point I just graduated college and was like oh god what have I done I have this degree and have no idea how to apply it um but what I did have going for me is that I'd been working part-time for uh one of the limited brand stores for several years right so I called up Victoria's Secret and was like will you please give me a job (laughs) um so I was assistant managing a store for some time and I found really quickly that I was able to bring a lot of the philosophy and the theory, the things I'd learned about human development and engaging the minds and spirits of people into the context of building and growing the team at Victoria's Secret. And working in sales, you tie real dollar results to that. Like I had some of the most engaged teams, people who came back. We had very high retention, which is uncommon in retail. And we were selling a ton of stuff. Right. And... I was really excited by that. I was like, this is the thing I want to do. This is fun, but didn't want to work in sales forever. (laughs) So I knew I wanted to be a leader and a manager, which is fairly uncommon, I think, for engineering leaders. Usually people become engineers and then eventually they either accidentally or sort of on purpose become a leader. But I started out knowing that I wanted to lead teams and work in a leadership space. And took some time to teach myself to code and spent some years as an engineer, largely working in the front-end space. Right. Um, And then finally achieved the goal that I'd set out, which was to manage teams. Yeah. Um, So started out, my first team was at Condé Nast, working largely in the front-end space. Um, And when I moved on from that job to Etsy, I'd interviewed for a role that was... Also kind of in the front-end product space. Right. But through the course of the interview, they were like, you have a really strong management practice. We have this job over here in data mm-hmm. engineering we've been trying to hire for like a year. Right. And it's just not working. We can't find anyone with the skill set we right. need. Will you come try data engineering? And at the time, I was like, me. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, but I was really excited by the people I'd met and finally was like, okay, let's give this a try. Got it. So, spent my time managing teams in the data engineering space right. at Etsy. Um, it was an absolute blast. Data is so interesting. It is. It's it my favorite is. of all the engineering spaces. Right. Um, and I did that for almost a full four years. Towards the end of my tenure, I was invited to try a strategy and operations role. So, rather than leading some of the data engineering teams. I was working on top of the engineering org, which had about a 1,000 engineers. Got it. Thinking about engineering enablement, things like engineering onboarding, um, team acceleration, manager training. And I really liked doing that. I liked thinking about the problems, but I pretty quickly realized I missed working hands-on mm. with leaders and with teams. Right. So made the move to Estee Lauder, where I now... Work with an amazing team of managers and senior software engineers.
1: So, how how big is the team now at Estee that you're managing?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, right now, I want to say fifty. 50?
1: Fifty is not. It's not less. It's that's, a lot of people. It's a lot of people to manage. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think that uh, having that experience of trying these, so having this versatile experience of being a developer, working on data, working on infrastructure, you have such a holistic profile now. And now you're a leader, too. Do you think that gives you perspective to kind of look at a 50 people team who's working on different areas and you can have a perspective, like a real perspective? Like I've met managers who are managers, but they don't have real experience <laughs> on working on those problems. Do you think that hel- helps you as you lead the team at Estee Order now?
0: Yeah, I think it, it helps me in a lot of ways to pretty consistently be the person in the room that is needs to seek clarity, needs to rely on my people to have expertise in the areas that they own, to push them to learn even more about what they're working on and to learn it to a degree that they can teach it. Got it. So... For me, it's been a superpower to consistently be entering into new spaces. Got it. And, and it's also a certain flavor of leader. I don't think all engineering leaders can be like purely broad. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah,
0: But but it's really useful in, yeah. in some use cases.
1: But like you have a very holistic profile and that's what it feels like you're bringing to a still order as a leader. Uh, and talking about a still order, um, I wanted to ask you is what for somebody who's listening to this for the first time, right? Estee order to a regular person is a cosmetic brand, right? And we know lots of people use these cosmetics. It's the second largest uh, cosmetic brand behind L'Oreal, I believe. So what is technology at Estee Lauder li- like for, you know, people? What are you guys working on? Where does technology get applied and what is it needed for, you know? so
0: They are a holding company that owns... Many brands. So it's right. not just Estee Lauder. They also own beauty brands like La Mer, hmm. um, Bobbi Brown, Matt Cosmetics, um, some things in the fragment, fragrance space like Tom Ford Beauty is a big player in fragrance, um, Joe Malone. And so hmm. how Estee kind of grew up in the tech space is that. They were a marketing powerhouse. Mm. And so they started acquiring these brands or creating these brands and helping market them to a place of really great success. And this was happening as the web was kind of growing up and every company needed a website. Right. And so what happened is that there were these different brands, these different marketing teams that were like, We need a website and we need it now. Right. And so they started hiring engineers um to build them websites. Yeah. And how that worked over the years, Estee has been wildly successful for quite some time. And it was okay to kind of be investing in engineering in all these different spaces, but it obviously created a pretty
1: like a open culture where it's not critical Yeah,
0: Yeah, not critical and nothing really needed to be unified. Everyone was kind of doing what they wanted to. Right. But at a certain point, you know, for a lot of reasons, having a tech stack that's just sort of sprawling doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you're solving a lot of the same problems for different brands. 100%. And in e-commerce, you know, there's only so many things we can do. Right. You click the thing, you buy the thing, you select the size. Hard and check
1: out is the bread and butter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so as I started talking to Estee with the journey that they have been on is consolidating all of that into a single tenant-based application where they build the components and then are able to share them with all of the brands that can modify them to the look and feel the things that they want. And then we have more engineering resources to build cooler stuff, to think more about AI and things like that.
1: Interesting. So basically what your team right now is working on is creating this unified platform experience that then sub teams within Estee can say, okay, we need this, can you pull this out for us, can you pull that out for us, you can do that. So how was that change, like coming in from some outside, bringing this <laughs> perspective, uh, how does, how? I know your favorite word in, in engineering is change management. It is. For yeah. your article.
0: Read the article.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I read the article. So so how was change management like when you were coming in and talking to Estee Lauder about Okay, hey, this is what we need to do, this is where everybody's going. So how did the transition start?
0: Okay, beautiful question. I'll clarify that I have come in at the middle of oh, this I trade love it. Okay. Yeah, and that's actually what made the job really interesting right. to me as I care a lot about change management, about managing culture and managing humans through change. And so the digital transformation the company was in the middle of, I was like, this looks like something I want to sink my fingers into. Um, so... What I have been working on there is really espousing engineering best practices. Again, because we were coming from a space where there was more distributed engineering resources and not a centralized engineering organization, there's not necessarily that rich history of people who are advocating for or implementing really strong tooling around things like observability or testing. And there's that's not to say that There haven't been people who've been doing a lot of good thinking there over the years, but there's just not quite, hasn't been as much investment in it. And now we're very, very focused on ensuring with this new singular platform that the uptime is everything that we want it to be, that the performance is what we want it to be. Mm -hmm. So we're really focused on advocating for and implementing some of those engineering best practices.
1: Got it. So when you were coming in, talk about in terms of where they were, you know, what were they doing? Were they adopting the cloud, were they already on the cloud, like AWS? Like if I ask you what cloud they prefer, is it a multi-cloud strategy or is it like a, let's be on one cloud or on-prem? How is that?
0: We have a multi-cloud strategy as an organization, but for the e-commerce website specifically, we are more consolidated in AWS and that's where our strategy is
1: today. Got it. And how is it that, you have engineers with you who are doing latest R D, generative AI coming, and all these different th- things that they want to work on. So, how do you handle that when they say, "Hey, I want to try something," say which is on Google, and how do you tell the person to okay move everything to AWS? Do you have to have those conversations where you have to get involved and say we should look at this, but maybe on AWS?
0: Um, that's a good question. It's not something that's come up yet in a way that we're really like pitting tools against each other. A lot of our data stuff is in GCP right now. Um, so it's fluid enough that there's options for engineers. And I, I think that's the, the vision of leadership is that we really want autonomous empowered teams who are able to choose the right tools for the job. And then as a platform engineering leader, what I'm doing is looking out for what everyone's doing looking for opportunities to you know consolidate things to implement guidance around things to implement automation around things whatever i can do to make people's choices work better for them and when we're able to package things up and make them a little bit more self-service so teams aren't having to recreate wheels for themselves you know we're able to make the easiest thing the best thing for them so whether we're talking about Security, you know, like documentation best practices. We try to package things up in a way that application teams can very easily pick things up and run with them.
1: So when you're working on AWS, right? Like there is a problem that resilience is important or region is gonna go down and things like that. You know, especially with the cloud, we have these scenarios where AWS regions are not available and you have to do multi-region sometimes. Do you get into conversations with your engineering team where there is requirement for resilience and how do you architect or how do you go into recommending that for your engineering teams?
0: In general, how I think about my role is putting the burden of proof on, especially engineering managers and tech leads, to lay out their ideas in a way that they need to advocate for things like availability. They need to tell me why something is going to be the most scalable option, the most high performant option. You know, I want I want managers and teams out experimenting and doing proof of concepts and coming back with like real data that says this is how this works. And this is how I think it's going to work in the next two, three, four years. Um, And and I'll say that the the leadership for this transformation in the single platform. Um, in the application space at Day right now is really strong. So we have an application architect, Chris Lai, and then both of our leader, Daniel Peck, who are constantly thinking about what it means to build a platform that can accommodate all the use cases at Day today and also make it flexible enough that we can accommodate tomorrow and the next day as well.
1: Right, that's brilliant. So one of the biggest advantage of cloud is the ability to like just go pick something up or start something on ec2 or kubernetes and it can scale Now i know you were talking to me or i was also reading your articles so you're a big advocate of building things uh you know or environments that can scale and this kind of goes back to what you're saying as a philosophy for you and your team is building an environment a uniform platform that is ready for taking whatever it is for the next few years that's what it sounds like so tell me how that works for you and how you're kind of working on that this whole idea of building environments that can scale and maybe we should go to the first point why should we could think about scale <laughs> at a still order first
0: this is a, a global company that does a lot so i'm working very much just in the e-commerce space for the dot coms. so that's like mac.com or bobbybrown.com right and that's where a percentage of our products are sold. Um, they're also sold at other spaces like Sephora, Nordstrom, like big box retailers that sell the products for us, um, and then the physical retail stores. So, when we are thinking about building APIs and products that can sell specifically in the e-commerce space, I, for me personally, you know, I think that. We want to build a fantastic experience for that particular customer, the retailer customer, but we also want to build systems that can accommodate a lot of different use use cases, APIs that can accommodate like this sprawl Mm -hmm. of where our products are sold. And so I think being that it is global, sold in a million different regions, um, a bunch of different brands, it's just, there's no one thing that we're doing or selling that we could like very specifically focus on instead it's the problem itself needs to be flexible and scalable and kind of more plug and play in a lot of different spaces
1: yeah no it's interesting what you were saying because this was not a thought that people used to have before right like if you go like a decade ago we would just put infrastructure on a you know on a server right and i used to work at a company where we had an as400 i don't know if you know what an as400 it's like a It's like one of those IBM machines that's really small and uh, it can work forever. So there was an episode when company was moving offices and they had this AS400 machine that was running forever. It was resilient. (laughs) Nobody knew what to do with that server because if they unplugged it, they didn't know what they would bring down. So there was this situation that we were at where we were thinking about, hey, what's gonna happen? What is it gonna, what disaster is it gonna cause? But we went from that kind of an era to an era where we're talking about cloud infrastructure, deploying things in the cloud, and be able to like scale infrastructure, like click on stuff, have EC2 running, you're good, somebody else manages. Now from there, we have gone to Kubernetes, right, where we are talking about orchestration and folks running infrastructure whenever they want. it. You don't even have to worry about it going down because it automatically scales up and down. Uh, do your teams have uh, been using these tools nowadays? They, applying these principles, uh, do you get involved in those conversations?
0: Yeah, and um, EKS and, and that space is like very important for us because e-commerce can be very spiky. Right. So traditionally, you're looking at holiday, so things like Cyber Week and towards the winter holidays, our sales increase a huge amount, um, like huge, huge amount. But additionally, in the TikTok era, you also have to think about things like partnerships fin- and what if Rihanna recommends this certain eyeliner, then what happens and can your website support all those users going and buying the eyeliner? Yeah. Um, so we, we think a lot about the, the TikTok effect and yeah. <laughs> and I
1: mean, spiky workloads. We're talking about like, it's the, in, in the financial space, that's the Super Bowl event, right? Like on mm-hmm. Super Bowl day, the amount of transactions happening on Venmo is wind. So they have now scaled their platform to consider every day as a possible, uh, you know, Super Bowl event. So for you, that's Black Friday or the holiday season. So that's what your team is working on. So uh, do you have to do like a rigorous testing also? Do you put any practices around testing to make sure this resiliency and scale is kind of your you can handle that? Is that something that you do regularly? Do you have practices around that?
0: Yeah, we have a working group devoted to performance and load testing, so we're consistently um, making sure that things that we can accommodate that scale. And it was the same at Etsy as Blind. well um, before holiday, typically, and a couple times throughout the year, we would we had scripts we'd run to kind of test everything end to end and be like, okay, what happens right. if we just throw chaos at this system? We as a platform engineering group are able to pave the path of what we hope engineering teams are going to do right um and we we try not to prescribe we try not to say like okay here is the best tool and here's what you're going to use because we said so um we instead evaluate what is probably best for the business from what we understand of the use case and kind of having a vantage point over a variety of different teams and different groups that we're working on different problems and we try to package things up and say like here is this tool we think it would be great for your use case, yes. and here's the 10 ways we've made it really easy for you to do so. Here is an engineer who can sit with you and help you implement this particular tool. Here is the t- documentation that makes this like super easy oh, to implement. We really need documentation. Yeah, yeah. It gets into almost the enablement space, yeah. I want to say. We're, we're definitely choosing tools, but teams can absolutely walk their own paths. We're just trying to make certain paths easy to walk Got and it. helping teams use tooling and make technology choices that we have
1: recommended if, first of all when i was walking through your profile and it's very inspiring where you are right now what you have become like as a software engine leading a team now 50 people if you have to go back to a young meg and give her any advice what would that advice look like
0: i don't think i would give her any advice i think that I have been committed to a certain vision from the beginning, which is that I deeply believe that work can be a joyful and contributing part to, of people's lives. Right, And so I have always just been attuned to that vision and looking out for ways that I could lean into that, that I could work on that. And whether that was hands-on line managing a team and creating joyful environments where we could do really hard things together, but in a really joyful way, are now working with managers and teaching them about some of the concepts of neuroleadership and joy and play and like how people's brains work better and how we can actually improve a company's bottom line by creating these really gorgeous teams where people feel satisfied with the work that they're doing. And so all of my career has happened a little bit. Randomly, but the decisions I've made have always been rooted in that, like, focus on the vision. And that vision hasn't changed from when I was, you know, working at Victoria's Secret to until not-
1: now. How to code, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to now where you are. as I was saying before, we were talking about, it, like, where you are is the perfect place to be. And it kind of applies, right, in a way. So, uh, but you actually brought this up this whole idea of neuro leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that, um, you know, wherever a person is, you have to look at that person, and there is immense potential in a human being, right? And I love your uh, leadership uh, description there and your LinkedIn about, too, you know. So, how, how are you applying that? And I know you've just brought it up. How do you apply this whole idea to your leadership? How do you apply the philosophy to guide your team? into kind of finding the best in engineers and developers so that they can apply all those things in you know their everyday work. If I
0: had to boil down how I think about it or how I've taken what I've learned into one core thing I think about, it is about the importance of the job of a leader in setting containers. So uh, when I think about container, it's like the the space that a person inhabits. And if you go all the way back to primal days, you know, we were out in the wilderness and we were looking for ways to set the perimeter so that we had a small space that we needed to pay attention to and look out for danger to protect ourselves and the right. people that we loved people were going into caves they were looking they were at a high vantage point where there was less that could attack you know that is a, a baked in brain thing that we do and that hasn't changed today right. and when we're working with a team that is also a container about like the potential for threat and reward, essentially. And so I think a lot about how can we set the container to be really specific, intentional, Mm -hmm. and how can I tell people what to expect so that their brains can quiet down and they can think more effectively.
1: Right. And engineers are different, interesting people. You know, like I have, like if I work for a manager, you know, one of the, I convey to them, hey, this is how I work. And he's like, yeah. I work with your kind, you know, <laughs> that's not a uh, feedback side. And I generally used to be an engineer who used to have the tendency to like work on a problem. And as soon as that program starts working, I'm like, yes, my work is done. I right, show me the next problem. And we have this natural tendency to work and we always need great leaders. So I've been inspired by leaders who come in has, and tell me, hey, t- hey, that problem's not done yet. Of course, for you, you have checked that code in, but we still have to make sure that it works it aligns to the objectives And there have been many times where I've done stuff I feel like I have achieved the objective and my, my engineering manager comes and says hey you know what you're missing something so do you get involved in conversations and these can be hard conversations but you have to tell them hey we need to consider this angle so how do you take and consider those uh, and kind of guide someone else to do that
0: so one of my leadership principles that I do my best to live I'm by no means perfect at it is to leave nothing unsaid Mm. so again when we're thinking about this container like what's possible within this container if I have something that I want to say to you something I'm trying to say to you something I'm thinking and I don't quite say it or if I like couch it in this really nice way like oh, I noticed that you did a lot of that project and now you're doing this other thing and like that's cool but maybe what if we did that your brain goes into this place of like i'm not quite sure what to do with <laughs> that information your amygdala starts to hijack your brain and right. you go into this threat or, space or
1: Sometimes, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah of like oh god i have to there's things that need to be fixed and i'm not quite sure what they all are and so direct feedback and like candid conversations. I think there's so much literature out there about uh, structure them in this way and we need to practice. And it. it's so important and it is important, but it's also so simple, which is just that I need to say the thing to your face. Right. And that's not always easy. That doesn't always feel good. But to say like, you know, on, on both sides of the spectrum, maybe it's like, hey, I think this podcast that you're doing is really great. And the way that you are committed to showing up for it and asking such interesting questions, that's really important. Mm. That's really important. And what you're doing, I really appreciate it. And it's great for the team. Thank you. Right. Like that needs to be said just as much as, hey, I noticed you walked away from this project and it wasn't done. Mm. And I don't think that's how our team is going to work. Like We need to keep our commitments in building really reliable things and if you don't do the testing part, we can't keep that commitment yeah. to each other Got it. So can you finish that? Yeah.
1: And I took it like seriously I will go and do the testing yeah. you know <laughs> I will go I will go back to the project back like, <laughs> I really that I, that one I really felt Good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's awesome you know I, I'm glad that you're bringing this up you know so uh, I know I want to be cognizant of our time but I also felt like because we are doing a, a first time in-person podcast, I wanted to change it up a little bit, and I wanted to ask you a uh, would-you-rather question. Or I would say I'll ask a couple of them, and you have to answer them really quickly. And the uh, and the idea is for you to kind of apply your platform engineering skills and your leadership skills, all right? You ready for that? Let's go. All right, and if, it, if this doesn't work, we'll just ask the production team to, like, cut all of this out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here's the first question. Uh, would-you-rather manage a remote data center with unlimited resources or run a highly efficient cloud with occasional outages?
0: Occasional outages? I love managing through crisis, yeah. and I love learning from incidents. It's the, one of the most fun parts of being an engineer, so no question, I'll take an outage here there.
1: But but do you think, okay, I, I'm just gonna ask a question. In, in uh, would that affect business, or would you? It's just, it's, that's
0: not, that wasn't part
1: of the All question. right, I'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. All right, next question. Uh, Would you rather instantly scale a server capacity or possess a crystal ball for infrastructure trends? Oh,
0: no, scale.
1: Scale, scale server capacity. Yeah. Yeah, talking like a true platform (laughs) engineer. All right, let's go to the next one. Would you rather migrate to a new cloud provider overnight with zero downtime or spend millions of dollars to maintain legacy systems?
0: That's not... Okay, you've put me in a really hard place. Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah, I know. Obviously, I have to choose the first one. Yeah. Like... No question, someone will fire me if I don't. But also, my favorite project is a migration. Like, I love a big, messy, difficult, like, the company thinks it's not possible yeah. kind of migration. Um, if anyone has one of those, please call me. This doesn't translate <laughs> via audio, but I just looked right into the camera. Call me, I'm available for your legacy migration.
1: Free consultant to help you <laughs> with your toughest migrations. The,
0: the first one, because no one will trust me if I say the second one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. no, we'll come back to that, but okay. okay. that's great, I mean, great responses, three on three, by the way. Okay, fourth, fourth one, um, would you rather debug a network issue with no documentation or lead a team through a major system upgrade during a company event? System upgrade. System upgrade. Yeah, I hate network issues. Uh, would you rather instantly resolve technical issues with a snap, or explain complex infrastructure concepts effortlessly to a non-tech stakeholder?
0: Oh, I want to explain things effortlessly. <laughs> that sounds so cool.
1: Would you rather want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I've I've been in situations where I have to explain uh, non-tech stuff to people, like stakeholders and like general people. You know. And sometimes it's like bang your head on the wall, yeah. but I think uh, you are you are an engineering leader, and you have to do that. So you will say yes to that. One hundred percent. All right. So what I think I would give you a five one five on the would you rather questions. They were yeah. they were great responses. But I do want to go back to the one that you were talking about, especially that migration piece, mm-hmm. right? Tell me, walk me through that uh, for somebody who's never done a tough migration. How how to how to handle that scenario? Like if you have if you are in a complex migration story. Tell me, walk us through that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So my biggest migration that I've worked on was at Etsy. Um, I was part of the team who were migrating our data warehouse from on-prem and a particular vendor to a cloud vendor. So different vendors from on-prem to cloud. There was a lot going on and it was the data warehouse itself, all the data that it held, as well as everything built around that. So the jobs that ran the pipelines, the all of the all stuff. All the ETL
1: pipeline, everything, yes.
0: Yeah. And fundamentally, what I believe about doing hard things is that any problem can be broken down enough to make it achievable. Um, so I'm actually working on a book right now. It's called How to Do Anything. <laughs> so right. it's very much in this space um, about taking a big thing that feels really hard or impossible and breaking it down in a way that anyone can achieve basically anything. Um, given the right amount of resources, time, and give a damn. Um, And so this project in particular went on for, I think, 15 months. It took a pretty large team. It took some of the smartest people I have ever worked with to come together and to figure it all out. Um, to break it down, to pick up these pieces and glue them back together to say, okay, we have to do this thing in this order. We have to move these things and then those things. And then to think about the communication strategy. Right. And and I think the whole thing just fosters such a teamy environment. Like the the goal is so clear and so specific. Yeah. Like we're here and we need to be over there.
1: Yeah. And did you go completely to the cloud after that? Like we moved the entire data warehouse from on-prem to... I hope it's an Oracle data warehouse that you moved away from.
0: It was Vertica.
1: Oh, okay. Actually. That's it. that's equally bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's I love uh, technology that runs on the cloud just mm-hmm. by the ability to scale. SaaS products especially, uh, I think my opinion is that off late, there have been lots of companies who are working on building SaaS products. And the advantage that these companies have is that they can single-mindedly focus on building a product that works on any cloud, can scale, is resilient. And sometimes when you're on the cloud, say, you're on AWS, you, you have just that one product, but you have multiple solutions now that can work on the cloud. So for anybody who's on this journey, this is amazing. I recently spoke to somebody who was telling me, like, 20 years ago when he needed to solve a problem, he had Oracle or he would have to write his own database. And now the last 20 years, we have so many open source technologies Lots of companies building these amazing products, you know. And now we have database like CockroachDB, which is one of the solutions that engineers and developers can choose from, right? So I think that's really exciting that for engineering managers and engineers and developers, there is a plethora of technology available to be taken and to be applied, right? The one question I was really um, curious to ask was, you know, if you're creating a leadership culture, You know, you have to create, you want every individual engineer in your team to be or have some leadership in it. How do you, how do you take somebody who's like, hey, I just want to be a developer check my code in and turn that person into a leadership, a leader? You know, what do you tell that person?
0: Experience has been that I've never found someone who isn't excited to share what they know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, There are lots of different ways to, again, set the container for someone that's like, hey, you just felt this awesome thing. Like, let's go talk about it to other people. Hey, like, I see the way that you're thinking about this problem. And next time I want you to, like, write that out loud in Slack. I want you to write what you're thinking and walk through your thinking so that you can demonstrate that thinking to other people and level them up, too. And so... I've never found someone who I can't pretty easily invite into building their leadership and growing their influence within the individual team or within a greater organization. So I, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think the... The Mountain Dew stereotypes of engineers are before, and we were are in a bright new future.
1: Yeah, where... that's good. I mean, if you're in an environment where you have fifty people to manage and all of them are like, "Hey, I would love to talk about I just explore it," I think you're with a good team, and I think they have a great leader too. So, one last advice, because our podcast is being heard in Africa and Australia, which is because people started reaching out to us. I wanted to uh, ask you, what is your advice to folks in these places? these places who are, you know, working on, sol- if they're, say, developers or platform engineers, what is your one advice to them, or maybe few advices on how to navigate this tech world and what to kind of go to and look to?
0: Mm. I think what's important right now in the current state of the world, which is, we're talking Post-COVID, the engineering market is changing a lot. We're in an economic downturn. There's like a lot going on. And I think what has been important and what is still important is that engineers need to be able to share their ideas and share their ideas, especially in writing. So I think using the tool of writing to clarify your own ideas, to help you understand what's rattling around in there and like really make it make sense, it's been an invaluable part of my own engineering, my own leadership experience. And it's something I recommend to everyone I talk to, like, write, even if you don't show it to anyone, but like, please show it to someone, but think about things and put it into writing, clarify your ideas, put them out into the world. You know, like, I think it's important, especially in this distributed world that we're living in. So that's my my top advice for people. It's just, write.
1: Yeah, it's awesome because I read that advice that you've written out in 2018. I think you wrote an article, The Overwhelming Need for Learning less, right? And I I can see how you've written something 10, 7 years ago. You're still applying in conversation today. So when you were, uh, what you had suggested and what Meg had actually suggested in that uh, particular article that you can go check out on our Medium blog, also on HackerOne, is that you need to have you know, a list of things that you look at, you see, and you can just put it in a, you know, list of things to learn and have some clarity, write it down, things like that. And I feel like now it's, we don't need a wonder list anymore. You know, there's a tool I don't know if you know about. It's called mymind.com. Like it's a website where you see anything, you can hyperlink it and AI kind of puts all these things. It's an extension of your mind. So if you're an engineer or a developer or a platform engineer, and if you're in that journey, um, and you come across certain things, just put them, like Meg said, into a list and just follow them, and, you know. Keep it's just up leveled me that I'm an. I'm, up, I'm getting up leveled for the last 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I mean it's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm really excited to kind of follow your career and see how you keep making changes at other companies. It's been a, a blast uh, talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed your first ever podcast recording.